episode of Papa Bear Hikes. It's been a while since we've had any world travelers on the show, but I've got to tell you, I'm excited because I always love talking to people that get out there and, and see the world, not just what's here in, in our country or, or their respective countries. Today we have with us a couple whose interest of plants and the outdoors have driven them to create a YouTube channel. They're living in Costa Rica. And as I said, they've been nice enough to share this passion with us. They created this channel uh, and in the hopes of inspiring everyone who can to get out and explore and learn about the outdoors. Lindsay and Richard, welcome to Papa Bear Hikes. Hi, Martin. Hi. Thanks for having us. Well, thanks for agreeing to do this. As I said, this is always an exciting opportunity for me when I hear from people in other parts of the world. So let's do. It. Let's start with this. Tell us a little bit about the two of you. Um, well, we're Lindsay and Richard. Uh, we're originally from Canada, and we moved to Costa Rica back in 2006. Um, we've lived elsewhere as well for a few years, but majority of the time we've been here in Costa Rica. Um, we both are outdoor enthusiasts. We love nature and plants. Um, and exploring. So we've been doing that for a very long time, even even back in Canada. Um, and that's sort of led us to where we are today. <laughs> now, to people yeah, that we, been... we recently started our YouTube uh, channel, uh, Bike Hike Botany, but uh, we've been exploring in Costa Rica really the whole time we've been here. And it's it's one of those fantastic countries where there's a lot of different uh, areas that are very unique and different from each other. So uh, really, we're just documenting our, you know, our explorations here, our love of plants, and uh, we also love filming and filmmaking. So, yeah, that kind of leads me to my next question, which I'm sure is going to be obvious to anyone who has visited Costa Rica. <laughs> what led you to Costa Rica? Well, uh, we were really fortunate. We had never left Canada on a vacation uh, in our early adult life. Uh, when we were married and we finally got a chance. We, we went on a vacation to Panama and we had one of those uh, moments that, you know, I think a lot of people have where, where we sort of said, well, what if we could, you know, live somewhere like this? And just out of, as it happened, an opportunity came my way uh, for work, which eventually led me to being able to take a contract in Costa Rica temporarily at the time. Uh, and we loved it so much that we, we you know, managed to stay and, and now we're residents. Well, as outdoor enthusiasts, that it must be like a paradise for you. It is. Yeah, it's the best. It's the best. Uh, Costa Rica has 3% of the entire world's biodiversity. So you could just imagine the amount of flora and fauna that we come across every day. You moved down here from Canada. And uh, I, yeah. I have a friend who lives in Winnipeg. And he joked with me one time. When I told him I was going winter camping, he says, winter camping, where I live, we do that nine to 10 months out of the year. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that must have been quite an experience, right? Going from Canada, where you have such a short season to enjoy all these things, to it's year round where you're at now. Yeah, it was wonderful, actually. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love running as well. So it allowed me to run year round because I really didn't enjoy running in minus 20 degrees Celsius weather back home in Canada. So yeah, it was great. Uh, you can go hiking year round. You can go in the ocean year round. Um, it, it's wonderful. Yeah, so um, now you've been down there, you said, since, I'm sorry, was it 2006, you said? Yes. yes. Okay. So, yeah, this isn't like what we're seeing. We're seeing people now that are going out and exploring during the pandemic. You made this decision early on to go down there, obviously. Uh, was the language, I mean, this is an obvious question, I think, to people in my position who have considered leaving the country, but I've been a little intimidated by the language. Did you find the language um, difficult, language barrier difficult to overcome? Um, actually, not so much. Um, I am, we're both bilingual, um, and my first language is French. So I, I find Spanish and French are quite similar. Um, and obviously, having that base knowledge of a Latin language really helps you learn another Latin-based language. Um, 
yeah, Richard, his first language is English, but he learned French as a second language. Um, so yeah, both of us kind of learned quickly. Um, we didn't take any official courses or anything. We just got out there and talked to people, made tons of mistakes, but that's like the best way to learn. <laughs> and it helps if you live in a place where you're sort of forced to learn and you get out there and speak with the people and you hear it every day. So that makes a big difference. And, and as well, Costa Rica, fortunately, is also one of the uh, Central American countries where there's uh, a large amount of expats and tourism. Um, so they're very used to English people, a fair amount of people speak English. Yes. Uh, so it's, it's pretty easy to get around here. Yeah, there's a quite, quite high literacy rate in English here. You know, I've talked to people who have relocated and you know, having that ability to speak with somebody in your native language is good. But I've also heard that the best way to learn is just throw yourself in. Yeah, it I, really is. Yeah. 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 And sometimes you say things that are really silly and don't make sense yeah. and people look at you strangely, but that's okay. You learn. <laughs> well, we have to remember that you know, there's people coming to where, where I live now. I'm in the United States. Who don't speak this? Don't speak my language, and they're taking yeah. those risks as well. Yeah, and uh, yeah, so yeah, kind of put from where I'm at, putting myself in their shoes. It, it's a learning curve, but it takes courage to do so. Uh, now, uh, you're in botany, biking, and hiking. That seems to be your thing. That's your interest. Uh, so yes. let's start by talking about. We'll go in the order here that you list them. Hike. Bike, hike, and botany. Okay. Some of your biking. Biking. Okay. Well, <laughs> um, we basically only had beach bikes since we've been in this particular town. Um, we don't own a car. So we've just used our beach bikes for several years to get around. Um, but I wanted to get out and explore a bit further. So just a few minutes away from town, there's these back roads and trails. And I, I would see a lot of cyclists going out there and, you know, they could just get so much further than I could by foot. And I did take my beach bike sometimes out on those trails, but it just became really difficult. And I told Richard, okay, I really want to just get a mountain bike because I want to go further. I want to keep exploring. I want to go to new places. Um, so, this December, we decided, yeah, we're going to get some mountain bikes. Um, our beach bikes had seen better days, and we needed to get new bikes anyway. So we got these mountain bikes, and we started going out every day on the trails and going up into the mountains and going to other beaches. Um, yeah, it's great. Now, you said you don't own a car. You use a bike to get around. In, in a beach community, I lived on the Jersey Shore. I grew up in New Jersey, so I... I know that along beaches, it's flat. You can get away with a single speed bike, but you yeah. said you were, you didn't have a car. So your bike was your way of going to the store, getting your groceries. That sounds pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we do everything by bike. Um, our community is luckily it's, it's small enough. So you can get around by bike quite easily. Um, yeah, but we love it. I mean, we don't really feel like in this town, there's a need to have a car, uh, Sometimes we rent cars if we want to go venture off to some other region of the country. Um, but yeah, it's just a lot less of a hassle just having a bike instead of a car. Yeah. <laughs> living in Costa Rica and then living at the beach in particular in Costa Rica, there's a different pace of life. Yeah. And it's actually in a lot of ways more convenient to have a bike than a car. Yeah. Which is great. Right. It's easier to park for starters, right? <laughs> Finding a place to you know lock up your bike while you go into the store is a lot easier than driving around looking for a parking yeah. spot. Probably safer too, I'd imagine. Um, last, yeah. Last year, I got back into biking during the pandemic, and I upgraded my bike. And I was using a cheap bike, and wasn't doing any mountain biking, just road biking where there'd be some hills I had to go up and down. But then I invested in a higher quality bike, and what a difference! Yeah. Yeah. Going from the your beach bike, your beach cruiser, or single speed bike to a mountain bike because you said you tried doing some trail biking on your on your beach bike. <laughs> what was that like? What what'd you feel like when you first was able to say, "Hey, this this is actually easier. <laughs> All I got to do is switch these gears." The funny thing is, is I got so used to it that 
often on these back roads, I'd pass people on mountain bikes and I was riding this really old beater beach bike and it was rusting through and everything. I don't know. I guess I, I built up a lot of leg strength doing that. But yeah, it just wasn't comfortable. And obviously, if you're going up into the more hilly regions, it's just not possible. So um, I was just really limited as to where I could go with that bike. So and we do we do have quite a lot of mountain ranges around here, um, just a bit further away from the beach. Uh, but yeah, you, you definitely need a good mountain bike to get up there. And Richard, what was that transition like for you? It's amazing. Like if you, uh, in my case, I hadn't ridden a mountain bike for a few years even before that. So it'd been like 10 years. And I used to ride a, you know, a bike quite regularly when I was in Canada. So the difference in the bikes and the technology now and how well they ride and the suspension and everything, it is just mind blowing. When you first get on it, you're not even sure what you can do. Um, so yeah, it's just, uh, uh, we don't have the best mountain bikes still, and it's always where I was talking about upgrading, but the amount of equipment and gear you can get, um, it's just uh, overwhelming, but in a positive way, right? <laughs> yeah. It's it's exciting. Yeah. yeah well, I got back in a bike and I, because of my knees, I had given up biking years ago and checked with my orthopedic and you know, he went over a few things, things to look out for, the right pla- placement of my seating, et cetera. But when I went in to buy a bike, I was like, wow, things have changed since yeah. 1995 <laughs> which was the last time i'd actually spent a, you know any kind of I, I don't have the best bike you know i'm kind of that middle of the road maybe even the lower end of the middle of the road but a, but with a quality bike and yeah looking at That's, some of these bikes I'm like wow <laughs> yeah there's some out there that wow I, I i don't even know i don't even know how they function <laughs> yeah there's some really advanced stuff i mean there's a lot to know about bikes like we're not we're not the most knowledgeable people about bikes. We we had to watch a bunch of videos just on how to maintain our bike, how to clean our bike, uh, just like very base, basic stuff. And and then you can get into more advanced sort of videos and, and they kind of lose us at some point because we don't even know what they're talking about. So then we know we have to go back to basics and like learn all the components of your bike, learn about various types of bikes, what they do and but there's a lot to know, you know, so. Well, Lindsay, it, it, that brings me to this, right? You didn't know, but today with the technology, it was a lot easier for you to learn, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah. Much easier. Much, much easier. Right. It's see, people, you know, there's no reason to be intimidated. You can learn. It's there right in your, right in the convenience of your home. Yeah. Yeah. It's, if you, if you want to learn, there's no reason not to. Somewhere out there, there's a video of a guy showing you whatever question you have. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, again, it's you're doing this as well with, with your botany experience. So people like me who know very little about it. And, you know, we're, we're sharing, everybody's sharing their information. And that, that's great. Uh, here's the thing. I When I got back into biking, I've hiked for years. But uh-huh. I just feel like you really learn about a place, its people, and what's there whether it's it's a plant life or or anything when you walk it or bike it you you experience it so much different yes i agree absolutely all right not having a car i mean correct me if i'm wrong it's really allowing you to really get the most of your experience while you're there it it does i mean sometimes it can be a bit challenging um when you have things to do that require a vehicle but I mean, overall, I would just say it it kind of makes us get out a bit more and be more active because you don't have a car. So if you need to go to the end of town, you know, you're going to get on your bike. It's just like a 10 minute bike ride. So, yeah, it's great. It definitely allows us to be a lot more active. I mean, we're already very active people, but yeah. It, it, yeah, it just keeps us moving. <laughs> And Costa Rica remains, especially in the small town, a place where uh, people are very friendly. Yeah. Uh, people still say hi. So yeah. it really does, uh, you know, even being on your bike, uh, I say hi. Like, I can't even believe how many times a day to people around town or even in, a, in other small towns when we're going. So, yeah, it definitely gives you a different feel. Yeah. Um, and this is still a place where, you know, you can experience kind of like an uh, uh, an older world. Some of these small towns are, are not really so modern. So it's, yeah. 
We'll be back after a quick break. You ever think about what might be in the water you're drinking every time you fill up your water bottles while you're in the outdoors? I try not to, and I really don't because I use Sawyer water filters. Sawyer filter technology, because of their high standards, every filter is individually tested three times through their process. I've been using their permethrin product for years now to protect me from, well, quite frankly, ticks and the picaridin to keep the flies at bay. Don't let bad water, insects, or a tick bite cut your trip short or even ruin it. Use Sawyer products. Go to your local outdoor retailer and ask for Sawyer products, whether it's a water filter, insect repellent, they're likely to have it. You can also go to Sawyer's website and read more about these incredible, high quality products that they offer for those of us who enjoy the outdoors. Yeah, and I think too, what you were saying about hiking or walking or biking somewhere, how it you have a better experience with that place. I think it has something to do with your senses. Like if you're in a car, you're, you're in like your own little cubicle. But if you're outside, you have sounds and smells um, and probably you can see a lot better than if you're in a car. So it just allows you to use other senses to experience a place that you otherwise might miss if you're in a car. No, you're able to engage all your senses, right? In a car, and especially mm -hmm. if it's a warm area or hot area, the windows are up. So you're you're looking, but you're not breathing it in. You're not smelling it. You're not um, hearing it. And, you know, you're smelling it. You may even get an opportunity to pull your bike over or stop walking and taste it. <laughs> yeah. Get, get that, you know, that, wow, that, that, that food cooking over there smells great. You know, <laughs> from your car, it's like, well, there's a place we can stop and eat. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now on your most recent YouTube episode, you took a uh -huh. hike and you took yeah. a hike and you thought you talked um, about, I saw you, you know, begonias, it seems to be your favorite flower. Your uh, something you have a, a big interest in and, and all about, I think you, from, if I'm not mistaken, your botany seems to be something you have a real passion for, but you took a hike. Uh, if you don't mind, share us about that. Share with us that hike that you took on this last YouTube channel. Or, uh, episode. Well, yeah. Um, so the hike that we went on the other day, it's called Miro trail. Um, it, it's been there for a very, very long time. Um, for a long time, like not many people knew about it, but in recent years, it's grown in popularity. Uh, it's basically at the end of town, it's really easy access. And this trail was primarily built because there was a wealthy man who had a project to build this giant, luxurious hotel out on this mountain in the middle of the woods. Um, the project never got completed. Uh, some say that the the landowner passed away before the project was completed, and then it was just abandoned. So on this trail, you have the ruins of this hotel that, that was never completed. Um, and then other things that they built on the trail. So there's a section of the trail that has this really long concrete wall. Um, and there was an artist that was commissioned to do these really elaborate carvings in the stone of various animals and indigenous life. Um, yeah, so it's, it, it's pretty wild. Um, and then this abandoned hotel just has one of the best lookouts in all of Hako. Uh, currently, it's used for little community projects. Um, you know, sometimes people get together and do exercise out there. Um, and then as you could see in the video, there's a lot of artists that go out there to do murals and street art, which is really neat. But yeah, it's kind of, uh, it's become a famous spot now in Hako. Uh, and it's great. It's a moderate trail. It, it, we see people of all ages hiking up there. Um, it's pet friendly. Um they don't allow cars anymore. So, so that's great because it used to, it used to be a bit of a wider trail that connected to another beach town. Um, but yeah, now it's only for bikes and for hikers and horses and horses. Yeah. And there's also like a lot of wildlife on this trail. Um, eight out of 10 times when we go there, we see uh, capuchin monkeys, the white faced monkeys. Um, and it's great for bird watching. Uh, 
I often see toucans. Uh, and it's also a really good, good place to spot the green poison dart frogs. So if you're, a, if you're an early bird and you get out there early enough, usually you can spot them on the sides of the trail. Yeah, I always. It's just a great. I, I love going out and finding ruins. We have some old hotels out here in the Catskills. I'm in upstate New York. And I always love uh -huh. to, to find out what the story is behind it. You know, and you got into uh -huh. that. You know, and in your YouTube, you got into that, right? That this was a hotel somebody had started and never finished. And I, those are just such interesting stories. I just think add value to and a different dimension to your experience, whether you hike up there or bike it. Yeah, I, I wish I could know more about the place. Um, I've, I've been looking for information actually for years about this place. Um, and there's just not a whole lot like other than that, than what I mentioned in the YouTube video. And this was maybe about 15, 20 years ago that the project started. That That's about the only history we can find on the place. Um, yeah, but it's interesting anyway. Uh, it, and, you know, we get to enjoy it now, even though it's it's abandoned and stuff. And, and there are people that maintain the trail. Um, there's a, a group of local men that maintain the trail, and they they try to fix up the place a bit if it's if it's falling apart. So, but yeah, it's just a really nice area for the community to to use to go hike and chill out, have a picnic, look at some really amazing art. Mm -hmm. And it seems to attract muralists from all over the world as well, which is really interesting. You talked about the animals you you get to see on this trail. It sounds like a trail mm -hmm. you frequent. Uh, you know, you talk about the the monkeys you see out there and the, the poisonous frogs. Uh, what was that like going coming from a place like Canada where you know you've, you've got bears, moose, uh, <laughs> some parts of Canada have wolves. You know, they're there. But what was it like going into a place that's just, you're just surrounded by unfamiliar wildlife? It was wild. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I guess we're, we're used to wildlife um, where we're from. We're, we're from pretty far north. So, yeah, I mean, we're used to it. But different kinds of wildlife. Um, I'll admit I'm pretty afraid of spiders and snakes, but it's mainly because of my ignorance. I don't know, you know, I didn't know much about them. Um, so when we moved here, I did take it upon myself to inform myself a lot more. I remember our, our first place we lived in our backyard, it was covered in these spiders that looked so scary to me. They, they had hairy legs and yellow black markings. And I was petrified to go out there. So I took photos and I asked someone online on a bug forum like can you tell me what this is if it's poisonous <laughs> and then they actually gave me the name so I researched it and it was a golden orb weaver um yeah they're harmless and I actually learned that they were used for the production of gold thread <laughs> which is really odd um yeah now I'm not afraid of them you know I see them in nature I, I actually admire them quite a lot I love to photograph them so I feel it's so important to learn about your environment because you can you can really get rid of any fears you have of the unknown. So even snakes, you know, I have a natural fear of snakes, but I've joined some groups uh, on snake identification and I'm trying to learn more about them so I can identify the venomous ones and the non-venomous ones and just understand their behavior as well so that when I'm out, I'm enjoying myself. I'm not freaking out if there's a snake that's going to come out of the trail or something like that so but yeah i think even with plants you know learning about plants um every time if you learn the name of a plant every time you pass that plant you're going to acknowledge it you're going to recognize it whereas if you didn't know the name you're more likely to just walk past it and never know a single thing about it um yeah. Well, I know my own experience, right? It's kind of cool when you learn something new and you and you come across it. Um, two of my sons are uh, into mycology, uh, mushrooms. Okay. So, you know, I, I've been on hikes with them and they'll see a, a mushroom or a fungus on the side of the trail. They've got to stop immediately and they want to look at it and say, yeah, I know what that <laughs> is. You know, the, the child, comes, they're, they're adults. You know, so, and all of a sudden the child, the, the 10 and 11 year old comes out and then that, yeah, I know what that is. And it's, the, you know, and they'll start talking about it. 
Yeah. Yeah. Richard, you're like, I would classify us as slow hikers and slow bikers, not because we, you know, when we're actually hiking, we're walking uh, quite fast and stuff, but we stop so much. And it's because you appreciate so many things. And as you, you know, it it doesn't get old when you move to a place like this that you, you know, I can walk out and just see monkeys or a pineapple growing on the side of the road or coconuts or, you know, any number of uh, wild ant toucans, uh, you know, it's, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And the nature here is so intense. I mean, not that it's, you know, not intense back home, but there's just a real different energy to it. Um, there's a lot of sounds all the time when you're out on a, on a nature trail. So it's, it's, I mean, it's peaceful, but it's not really quiet necessarily. A lot of insects, a lot of birds. Um, it, it, this place awakens your senses, but if I can sum it up. (laughs) Yeah. It sounds like you guys focus on your journey when you're out there. It's not about, we're going to reach this destination, but we're going to take in as much as we can on this hike as we can. Yeah. Yeah. We play it by ear. We just see how we feel. Um, I've had a lot of uh, problems with my left foot this year. So sometimes, you know, I have to limit how much I can hike. Um, And yeah, like some days, you know, maybe it's getting really hot outside and we decide, okay, better to turn around and go home and take our time going home. But yeah, we never put pressure on like, reaching a specific destination um you know we do this for fun we we want to enjoy our time outside and we don't want it to to become stressful or feeling pressured so yeah and it's really just about taking in the whole experience uh, yeah breathing in all the smells listening to all the sounds stopping to look at all the tiny creatures and little plants and large trees and yeah, just enjoying yourself. Now, Richard, I noticed you were quiet while Lindsay was talking about getting over snakes and spiders, etc. Is that because <laughs> you were being polite, or are you still trying to get over those things? Uh, Here's you your know, I confession. Confess. Just I between have a different approach about snakes. I don't look at the groups or try to inform myself. I let Lindsay tell me the major points I've got to watch out for. But yeah, I prefer uh, not to know too much. There's a lot. There's obviously uh, an unlimited amount that you could know here. Uh, there's so much nature going around and it almost like you learn in stages. So uh, I spend a lot of my time trying to learn about the plants as much as anything in the, and that kind of the climate. Uh, but yeah, snakes. Uh, eesh. <laughs> yeah, I feel like I know what I need to know about snakes. You know, just, yeah. you don't, don't disturb nature. If you see it, step back, give it plenty of room, yeah. let it go. <laughs> but, For uh, sure. Yeah. Snakes is kind of something I've had a bit of a, an obsession over I must confess and not in the way that I want to go out and see that snake or pick that snake up it's like if I encounter that snake how should I behave how should I deal with this situation and you yeah. know and, and Lindsay you talked a little bit about this a big part of that is just educating yourself to what you might encounter yes absolutely yes for sure not all snakes are not all snakes are venomous here but if you don't know the difference and you see a snake and you you know you just start panicking you don't know what to do I don't know it's going to ruin your hike. <laughs> you know, uh, I'd rather just stay calm and figure out, just leave the snake alone and, you know, try to figure out what kind of snake it is, but from afar and yeah, just let nature be. But yeah, I do feel like the more you learn about stuff, um, the lower your fear of things becomes, which is really important to have a nice and relaxing hike. So Yeah. I, just for so people can put themselves at ease a little bit. I know this helped with me. Uh, a doctor who specializes in, in venomous insect and, and reptile bites uh, uh-huh. wrote a paper. Oh, this must have been maybe almost 10 years ago now. But the conclusion was that the majority of venomous snake bites occur uh-huh. on males between the ages of 18 and 25 who are intoxicated and the bites are on the hands. Really? So the conclusion is these are guy, yeah. young guys that had too much to drink that thought they were going to be able to pick up a, a venomous snake. Wow. <laughs> yeah, that's kind of crazy. Good I, to know. <laughs> I think here here um, it's largely people who work uh, in the fields on big farms, like especially up in the mountains. There are more snakes up in the mountains. Um, yeah, and if you're working in, in a field with tall grasses, you have to be really careful. 
But I've heard of a lot of incidents happening to farmers mainly. But luckily, Costa Rica um, is, I think, the top place that produces the antivenom. So pretty much if you get to the clinic on time, they can they can give you the antivenom. Yeah, it's it's like most medical situations, right? Get you know, the yeah. quicker you can get care, the, the the more likely you are to reduce the long term effects of of the injury. Yeah, for sure. So, but here, you know, here there's we don't get cell service everywhere. Um, so, like, you know, that's a concern. Is just I've always wondered, like, well, what, I go hiking a lot by myself, um, and sometimes I go pretty far out at. I like to venture off, so I'll just keep going and going and going. And, you know, I've noticed a few times, like, oh, I don't have cell service out here. What, Like, what if something happened? Like, what if a snake bit me? How would I get to a clinic from here? How would I call for help or things like that? So, yeah, I think it's just really important to know about where you're going hiking, know what kind of uh, animals you might run into, be prepared. Um, so have a bag with some kind of first aid kit um, and yeah, hopefully go somewhere where there's cell, cell coverage. But I think if you go in equipped with knowledge, you can probably avoid 99% of problems. So don't go in the tall grasses. If you're wearing only short sneak sneakers, you know, maybe if you have rubber boots, it's okay. But yeah, using a bit of common sense and, and knowing where you're going hiking can avoid problems. Yeah, we become familiar with our and comfortable in our own environments. And I know about three years ago, I was in Florida visiting and I was talking to somebody who is an avid kayaker in Florida. And I told him, yeah, I do most of my hiking in the Catskills and in the Northeast. And he says, you guys have a lot of bears out there, aren't you? Does that kind of scare you? And I looked at him and said, you have these things called alligators, right? They scare me. <laughs> And we kind of left and I said, okay, he's like, yeah, I grew up here. We know their behavior and how to predict what to do, what not to do. I get it. Yeah. We were laughing about it, but yeah, I guess, you know, once you, yeah, you familiarize yourself, you become comfortable. Yeah. You know, the snakes are there, you know what to do, what you shouldn't do. doesn't mean you're going to eliminate the possibility of something happening, but yeah, you know what to do. Yeah, I mean, like, and that's the thing, like, you know, being from Canada, so we're aware that there's you know, fox, coyotes, bears, whatever, other animals. If you're out camping, you know, yeah, you might encounter a bear. But, you know, we've all learned to deal with it because we understand it's just kind of normal over there. But then when we moved here, you know, we obviously weren't really accustomed to all these crazy insects and lots of snakes. There were not so many snakes where we're from. So, yeah, it definitely puts you out of your comfort zone a bit, you know. And yeah, I just think knowledge is the best way to sort of lower that stress a bit, <laughs> make you feel more comfortable. Because you want to enjoy yourself when you're hiking, you know. You don't want to be thinking about what if, what if, and and everything that could happen. So, yeah. uh, Richard, how long did do you think it took you to make that transition where you were feeling more comfortable going out into the woods uh, with this different wildlife that that you were accustomed to that you grew up around? Well, Lindsay was actually a, more of a hiking explorer in the earlier days uh, when we arrived here uh, than I was. Uh, so I kind of got some reports from her at first. I was pretty used to being in the outdoors, um, but uh, I, I don't really think I had a fear so much of it. To be honest, I think I was uh, too ignorant in the early days to realize some of the danger. And then over time, I realized that, you know, sort of like uh, if you're in the ocean, you realize that maybe you know, you've been around sharks. It's the same kind of thing with snakes. I realized at some point, oh, I'm around them all the time. I just don't see them. Yeah. Uh, and there's a lot of wildlife like that, that as you, um, you know, in, when I lived in Canada, they used to call it bush eyes. Once you've been in the <laughs> wild for a while, you start seeing the camouflage through the camouflage and the patterns and yeah. you can recognize all the wildlife that's around you. And it's the same here for sure. Where now I'm starting to realize what's around you. Um, kind of the more you're around it, the more you can spot monkeys from far away and where they might be and stuff like that. So it's, it's ongoing. It has to be so cool that uh, those first few experiences, actually just seeing monkeys in the wild, I can only imagine, you know, cause you know, again, I'm from the Northeast, you're from Canada. We don't see that. <laughs> yeah. It, it doesn't get old. And, and you know, in one of the, uh, an episode two or three back. Uh, so, you know, I, 
uh, you can see toucans here. They're not as common as some of the other uh, birds and, you know, that, that you'd want to see, but normally they, they're a bit spooked by people. So it's a bit far off. And so I was biking and I just sort of stopped really quickly for some other reason. And I noticed that I happened to be like uh, five feet away from five, 10 feet away from a toucan. Uh, and, you know, I walked right up to it and it's like stuff like that. It doesn't get, it doesn't get old. Yeah. You're now on to your third big interest here. And I'm not, I don't want to sound like I'm checking off a list here, but because what you do is so <laughs> interesting, I don't want to miss anything, but the botany aspect of your YouTube channel, who's yeah. the, who's, who's driving that bus? Is it both of you or is it just one or the other? It's both of us. It's both of us. So, um, Okay, so when, yeah, when I really started hiking in Costa Rica, um, I don't know, I have a real fascination with wild plants. We, we, we were gardeners before that, but we were like container gardeners because we always lived in apartments um, and we had house plants. But once we moved to Costa Rica, I, I just started really developing an interest for, for wild plants. Um, yeah, I'm just trying to identify everything. Um, yeah, I mean, the, I was always into gardening, even in Canada. When we moved here initially, I was just shocked at what you could do and the variety of plants that you have. And because the season is year round, things fruit. Um, so I remember, you know, when we got here, one of the, uh, as an impulse buy, I was driving one day and I passed by just giant cactus that I bought and, you know, put in our yard. So it kind of started with some of that and seeing that, you know, here it's a, it's a, there's a blurrier line between cultivated plants and wild plants. Um, uh, people are growing just whatever in their yards and there's yeah. just amazing stuff. And then as we were exploring in the wild more uh, to see, you know, some of our favorite plants in the wild and, and see how huge they grow. Uh, if, you know, if you actually see a jungle plant in the jungle, it's amazing, but so many plants, even in Canada, are cultivated tropical plants that originally come from the jungle. It's it's just something different to see, you know. So to see wild begonias when you collect wild yeah. begonias, it's 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 a different experience, you know. That's probably why the begonias kind of stick in my head because yeah, we go to we go to the store and buy them. Uh huh. You're out there yeah. walking around; they're right there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fascinating, um, and. Actually, like I didn't even know that they had wild begonias in Costa Rica because in the beginning I had read that um, they were native to India. So on several of our hikes, you know, we came across different types of, of begonias and I, I don't know, I was just amazed. <laughs> I was like, oh, they do grow here. So yeah, and then I discovered so many, many different species of begonias that, that exist here. So um, now, now when we go out, you know, it's, it's one of those plants that I, I always can spot a mile away. Um, yeah. We both follow a lot of plant groups online, yeah. uh, and aeroid society, uh, groups and, and that sort of thing. And I think for a long time, I was seeing kind of people post about, you know, beautiful plants and they, you know, they live in Canada or the United States or Europe, um, and asking questions, about, you know, what are considered very rare plants and stuff like this. And then only after time, I realized, you know, when I was walking around, oh, like that's, you know, a plant that I just see commonly around here every day. So it really changes your perception when you sort of see uh, what's around you and learn to appreciate it with different eyes. Yeah. And when you go out, do you bring a field guide with you to help you identify plants that you might not recognize or, or do you have an app you use? Um, I don't use an app. Just because a lot of the places that we go to, sometimes we don't have cell service and we just can't, we can't use it. So I, I take a lot of photos and I take videos. Um, sometimes I've done drawings. So yeah, basically photos and videos. Um, and then I, I'll write notes, like specific features of a plant um, or I'll record myself saying it so that when I go home, I can do some research based on, on those features of the plant to try and figure out what it is. Uh, sometimes I have an idea, uh, what type of plant it might be, like if it's an anthurium or a philodendron. Um, but as far as like this, what specific type of philodendron that is, that becomes a little more tricky. Um, 
And there's also like a lot of uh, plant species that have yet to be discovered. So it's possible to come across something that you might not actually find any information about at all or very, very little information. So I don't know. I kind of find it fun <laughs> uh, just trying to figure out what's the idea of this plant. Um, when you go out into on your excursions, are you going out there saying, I'm hoping to find a plant that I haven't seen before? Or is it just kind of like you're walking to say, that looks interesting. I've never seen that before. I just go and just hopefully run into something interesting. Uh, yeah, I mean, sometimes, like, we have we have certain locations that we know there are some really fantastic plants, so we like to go back and, and visit them, <laughs> say hi and see how they're doing. Um, but, yeah, I mean, often we're going to places that we haven't been to before, so we don't know what we're going to expect, and that's kind of the fun thing about it. It's a, There's an element of surprise. Yeah, I think for animals and for plants really for a lot of the hikes we go on in particular like we know either the specific area or that region we're hoping to come across you know this plant or this animal um but if it happens you know that that just depends on the day yeah so you have to do any do you do any advanced research before you go into an area you're probably so familiar it sounds like at least especially where you live in, in that region there you have some knowledge of what should be there what or what possibly is there we do we do some research before uh, if it's somewhere that we're not as familiar with. So, for instance, uh, we did a video a few weeks back where we went to Santa Elena Cloud Forest Reserve. Um, I had actually never been there. So, of all the years that we've lived here, I'd never been there. Um, and yeah, it's it's a completely different uh, microclimate. And there are very different plants that grow specifically in that region that we've never seen. So, yeah, I tried to familiarize myself with um, the types of plants that people have identified in that specific reserve. Um, yeah, just so that when I went, I kind of had an idea what it might be. Um, even with the birds, there's there's a lot of birds there that people have seen and documented. So. I think when you're an expat, there's a, a cycle that you often see, and we follow this too, which you get to somewhere new and yeah. you try to learn everything about the place <laughs> and you go everywhere. And we went on road trips all the time, and this is a great country for that sort of thing. Uh, but after a period of time, maybe you start settling down, you get into a routine, you start taking things for granted. And I think, you know, after, uh, in our case, you know, we've had a second or maybe even like a third wind where we're exploring again and i find that now we're like researching again places that we maybe haven't been in years uh-huh. or i always said we were going to go but never went you know yeah. so uh that's been one of the you know real positive things with having more time in the last year is that we are exploring again um, both you know in our immediate region but throughout the whole country again yeah it's easy when you've been somewhere for a, a long period of time and, and i say long period of time even after five years to say yeah, okay. I'm in my routine, you know, and yeah, I've seen what I need to see. But you guys, it just sounds like, all right, we're going to go look for something new. All right. You rediscover, you know, you're, like you said, you're in that, you're in a new phase now where you're out looking for something new to discover. Yeah. And I see that a lot of people are doing that, you know, uh, during the pandemic, uh, even in their, their, you know, hometowns, right? You see a lot more people hiking, biking, getting out, doing all sorts of things. So that's been, you know, just a, a reminder to appreciate what's around you every day. Get out there. Now, do you uh, catalog? Do you have your journal, your plant discoveries as you come across them? Um, not, not, no, I don't really journal. Um, I post stuff on our Instagram account. Um, I keep all the, the video of the plants that I find uh, on my computer. Uh, that's, I guess, sort of my catalog, but we have we have some plans for the future to use some of this stuff well, for another project <laughs> i guess what you know the the photos and and the videos you know that you can't beat that for being able to hold on to the memories or knowing having that that image right nothing could really beat that no for sure and um yeah like i do keep i do keep a um, a visual documentation of everything that i've found um and then if I find information on it, like I'll, I'll save it in some files in my computer, but 
it, right now it's not a really organized catalog per se. Um, but yeah, I do have it because I do have plans to use some of that in the future. Uh, do either of you have that one find uh, plant or reptile or animal while you were there that you were just like, you know, blown away by when you found it? Yeah, I can. I, I recently, actually a couple of times, um, I was out biking by myself one day, not, not actually so far from where we live, like maybe three kilometers away. And uh, I turned on a, a side dirt road that I hadn't been on before. And it's just walking and I stopped for a sec and I look up and I spotted <laughs> this giant phylogendrum to I'm not saying it right, Ptorum, Ptorum, Philodendrum Ptorum. Um, and okay, for maybe a lot of people, this isn't really exciting, but I really love aeroids and I love Philodendrons, uh, especially ones that develop really big leaves. And I don't know, this was one of the largest Philodendrons I had ever seen. The leaves were twice the size of my body. Uh, it, it was amazing. And, and it actually... It wasn't right off the side of the road. Um, <laughs> I had to I had to walk in some pretty sketchy terrain to get up to it and to get a close closer look and get some photos and, and videos. Um, and I didn't even know what it was. Like I knew it was a philodendron, but I, I didn't know what kind of philodendron. But I was just completely blown away by this. And I remember like hurrying back home on my bike to tell Richard. I found this coolest plant. Yeah, I need to take you there to see it. Yeah. Uh, Richard, how about you? If you had any, I mean, uh, any encounters? Similar like story. I mean, similar story. I think we, we both have about two or three, especially for plant stories where you found something that uh, often it's like something that you, uh, you know, when you come from Canada, you don't always know what's endemic or not. And so in this kind of case, you know, I, I love epiphyllum, which are kind of like jungle cactus um, and you know, when we moved to the beach from a different part of Costa Rica originally, uh, yeah, I was just biking around and just like happened to stop under a tree and looked up and the similar kind of story where I just saw a giant, you know, for a collector, it would be just something fantastic out of this world to see, um, jungle cactus. These things produce like really beautiful, uh, almost orchid like flowers out of the cactus. So that's one of them. Um, and, you know, it is one of those places where this, it happens often enough, to be honest, for plants, because there's just, the climate is fantastic. So not only do they have some unusual species, but they have just incredible giant specimens of, you know, cactus that have been around 20, 30, 50, whatever years for, for forever. So yeah, wild orchids, um, I mean, you just come across some amazing stuff. Now, listening to the two of you describe and talk in detail about these plants it's obvious you're just not passively involved with this you guys are a, a well of, of information here to draw from uh, on this subject and i see that you have 1000 plants these are plants you own <laughs> 1000 plants what do you have there that are don't you have to tell us all 1000 uh well we have a ton we have lots of monsteras so we have about Six different types of monsteras. Um, no, actually, maybe more. I think yeah, more than eight 10. or yeah. Okay, <laughs> yeah, it, you lose track after a while. We have a lot of hoyas. I think right now we have about six varieties of hoyas. Um, cactus. I think we have about five varieties of cactus. Begonias. I have at least ten varieties of of begonias and several of the same kind. So, um, what else? Lots of philodendrons. So lots of gloriosums and Sharonii's. Um, yeah, lots of anthuriums. So do you try to make your, your personal collection of plants? Are those indigenous plants or? Um, no, like some of them, some of them are, some of them I have had like cuttings, um, and some are indigenous, but a lot of them are cultivated plants as well. So, yeah, some I bought from from a nursery, a local nursery or a local seller. Okay. But where did this interest start? Is this something you guys both had 
from the beginning of your relationship or one you brought it to the relationship? Or do you do it professionally? I might have, I probably should have asked that before we started, but yeah, where'd the interest begin with you guys? Yeah, I mean, we started as enthusiasts like years ago. Like I was saying, I had a few plants in Canada and when we moved here, uh, sort of in a natural sense, we just uh, added things to our yard. Um, like I was saying, cactus was something that was interesting to me just because it was something we couldn't grow back home. Uh, we do have an actual uh, plant-related business that we work on that we've been working on in the last three years. Um, but, you know, that's very separate from our that actually came out of our passion for plants rather than the other way around. So, um, you know, really our home collection has been growing over the years. And now we definitely have a, a very jungle inspired uh, home. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, it's like anybody who collects, collects things, right? It could be, you know, I collected baseball cards for years, for example, uh-huh. right? that collection gets bigger and bigger, right? And you're happier and prouder of it every time it grows. But then the next thing you know, it's, I know my baseball cards, it was growing out of control. <laughs> and my wife was yeah. saying, do you really need all of these? We're yeah. reducing. We're, we are definitely are doing you? that uh, <laughs> uh, review. And kind of what we're focusing on now, more quality and bigger plants and better specimens. And, you know, really the things that uh, really we have a passion for. So if it's a ho-hum plant, it's got to it's gotta go. If it's not, you know, a gift for a friend or something like that. All right, you're looking more for uniqueness now? Yes. Yeah. We've we have enough plants and now we're only looking for the the best of the best. Okay. Uh so what would you tell somebody that's maybe entry level into this interest? Just starting out. Well, for my, myself for example, who has I have some interest. I I every year I pick something I want to learn more about and plant identification is on my list probably mm-hmm. next year is when I'll get to it. Uh how do you get started in this? Where's a good starting point? Um, well, I think the first thing is you have to get out there. Uh, you have to take notice of different plants and the differences between the plants. So there's a lot, I, like if you're interested, you can always take a notebook with you, take photos of specific plants, and you can start to um, mark down things like location, uh, the type of environment in which that plant is growing, and then some more descriptive features. So like the shape of the leaf, um, the direction of the veining on the leaves. Uh, is it a fruiting plant or not? Um, so ba- yeah, there's there's a lot of ways to start to break it down and so that you can try to categorize that plant a little bit easier. We're actually um, planning to do a little mini series where we're going to help uh, our viewers identify plants. We're going to give them tips and break it down very easily. Just, just how to get started. And you might not be able to identify the specific plant, uh, but you, but you know, our hopes is to get people to be able to at least identify um, the genus. Yeah. It's, yeah. that sounds really interesting. I'm sorry, Richard, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, uh, what I found really helpful was Facebook groups, really. Like you find what kind of plants interest you, you start finding, you know, what, what they are in general and find some groups to follow. And then you'll see, you know, normally over time, I just noticed I was picking up a lot by seeing pictures that other people had posted and, uh, they would identify it and talk about it. And then only over time, you know, I would see those plants in nature. And, you know, it goes both ways. Then you can start, you will you might see a plant you love. And then, you know, if you, if you know you love begonias and you see a begonia in the wild, you look on a begonia related group and you will find that, you know, someone else has put that kind of stuff. So the groups are really great. I think they have groups for every type of plant, um, whatever, you know, yeah. whatever you're interested in. And for people just getting started or considering, I just want to point out, you don't have to live in Costa Rica. You don't have to go walking. 10, five, maybe not even a mile into the woods. And you could get yourself started on this. Of course, of course. Like you don't have to go far at all. You can probably just go down the street where there's maybe an empty lot or something and just go see what's growing there. Um, you know, in North America, at least where where we're from, um, when I was a kid, one thing I used to really love doing, we lived out in the country and we had a lot of farmer's fields around our house. And I used to love in spring and summer, just go for a walk and try to identify the wildflowers that grew out there. 
And I know in North America, there's an abundance of, of wildflowers and, and herbs. And I, I was actually really into um, herbal medicine and, and learning about the medicinal qualities of plants back home. Um, since moving here, my interests have changed a little, but that still really interests me. But yeah, you don't need to go, you don't need to go far out. I mean, I know in North America, there's plants growing out of a piece of concrete or, you know, you could just go anywhere and you'll find some sort of plant and you can start there and then move on, go, go explore a little bit further and see what you find. I know in my own backyard, if I don't trim down the far back of my yard, it becomes overgrown with weeds. There's all sorts mm-hmm. of interesting things I see back there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. Now, and I wonder, you know, people that own a house before us, she was really, uh, she was an avid gardener. And and sometimes I just wonder, are these just things that maybe weeds that she pulled out or plants that she had pulled out and thrown back here that are still coming up every so often? That's kind of cool. It could be, could be, could be maybe that a bird dropped some yeah. seedlings or something. I, I find it fascinating just how plants travel as well. Mm-hmm. Like we tend to think of them as very stationary, um, but actually they travel quite a lot when they propagate and through the help of other other animals as well. So it's really interesting. So as we're finishing up here, I, I want to ask this question. And this is yes. you know, something I, I'm, I always have an interest in. Any really cool or dangerous animal encounters? Um, No. Well, that's good to know because no, yeah, so Costa Rica is an area I'm trying to get my wife to go to. Okay. Well, wait a second. Wait a second. <laughs> don't tell her about the spiders. This is just between us. Nobody's listening. I'm not going to tell her about the spiders. Just the one, and it's like nothing happened. So, uh, but I was surfing. This was years ago. I was surfing with some friends out uh, in near Ostianal, which is up in Guanacaste on the Pacific coast. Um, and it's pretty wild up there. And I remember somebody was behind us, and they just yelled, Croc! So I guess they saw a crocodile in the water. And yeah, I never swam so fast back to shore in all my life. And yeah, I was, I was shaking, but I didn't see anything. So <laughs> I still have all my limbs. Good, good news. <laughs> and I'm going to keep that spider stuff to her just between us. I'm not going to tell her. Okay. I don't want to scare her. I don't think, yeah. she, does. I don't think yeah. she listens to these episodes that closely. <laughs> the YouTube channel. You can tell us, tell us a little bit about what you got going on there at your YouTube channel. You started that up, from my understanding, was the beginning of the year, right? Not too long after we started the podcast here. Tell us about your YouTube yeah. channel. Yeah, well, we started our YouTube channel just a, a few months ago. Um, and basically, it's just for fun. We're just doing this as a, a fun project. Um, and it keeps us motivated to go to new places every week because we make new videos every week. So rather than just going on the same trails all the time, you know, it pushes us a little out of our comfort zone and gets us out there. Um, and we just want to share the beauty of Costa Rica with everybody. And yeah, we we really want to just inspire other people or encourage other people to just get out there and just learn about your environment. Like there's so much that we don't know if we just stop and take the time to learn, it's incredible. And that knowledge just makes you appreciate your world so much more. Um, So, you know, even somebody who may live maybe in an area that they don't feel is that, that beautiful or that amazing, you know, but just get out there and start looking at the small stuff, like start noticing the small insects or the small plants and learn something about them. And then every time you see them, you'll be reminded of what you learned about them. And it changes your perspective on your environment. So, I mean, I can honestly say when I when I first started, like, especially where we live now, when I first started hiking in this area, um, I, I didn't see half the stuff that I see now. Uh, I just didn't have the eyes for it. And I did the same trails over and over and over again. And you know what? Every time I keep discovering something new and something that I find amazing and brings me a lot of happiness. So that that's something that we just want to encourage other people to do. We know a lot of people right now um, are dealing with a lot of stress and, you know, they, they want to find like a, a healthy outlet. And I think being in nature, learning about your environment, uh, to me, that's, 
that's a really great way to be stress-free and happy. And Richard, what do you think of the YouTube channel? No, absolutely. Uh, same kind of thing. You know, I've been watching a, a, a lot of YouTube uh, during the pandemic, especially, and I was super inspired by a lot of uh, bike packing videos, uh, through hiking videos, uh, and watching a lot of it, you know, I realized, you know, I, I, something I wanted to share our experiences because we do have a different, you know, I don't really see a lot of people um, doing videos in these topics in the tropics, for instance, you know, I, I see a lot of the areas, you know, in, in Canada, United States. Um, so just being part of that community was kind of part of what inspired me um, because I was like, vicariously enjoying so much of other people's videos that I wanted to kind of give a different perspective and be able to kind of get into that. Well, your videos certainly are informative. They're entertaining. They check all the boxes, at least they make me want to watch them. And I just, I think YouTube is incredible. It's an opportunity for us to share our passion with other people. And and in many cases, maybe we're uh, influencing them to go out and try something different. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, it's great. Um, yeah, we, we love YouTube right now. Just There's just so much interesting content and uh, just people inspiring other people, uh, sharing ideas, sharing knowledge, sharing their experiences. Yeah. I mean, uh, living here as an expat, you know, you sometimes get visitors and you it forces you to take them out to different areas and show them around. And I think, you know, we have a unique opportunity now to do that globally. Uh, you can share that with people. Like I, myself, I love watching videos, not even just of nature, but also even people doing street tours where they walk through a town just to experience, you know, the everyday of people and what's out there. So, um, yeah, I think it's a great, we're in a great time where we can share that with people and, uh, we, we should. So any future plans guys, uh, any, you know, you're, you're going to continue with the YouTube channel, I hope. And um, any future expeditions coming up? Um, yeah, we well today we're actually planning next week's uh, outing. <laughs> so I think we're going to possibly rent a vehicle and get out of this region a bit. Um, maybe go explore a national park. We're not entirely sure, but yeah. Um, but as we said, we also want to start developing uh, a small series on our YouTube channel. Um, it's more informative and it's going to help people identify plants. So this is something that we're, we're currently working on. Yeah. Cause I know for people like me that spend a lot of time in the outdoors, gaining that little bit of knowledge, maybe, you know, gives me the kick I need to say, all right, now up your game. Now, you know, a little bit, get out and learn more about plants and plant identification. Cause it's been something there that I wanted to do. I just you know, need to take that yeah. step. Um, yeah, and we want to keep it fun. Uh, we don't, you know, we don't want it to come off like you're sitting in a classroom and right, just like going to listen to me talk for 15 high minutes. Like, class, right? <laughs> yeah, like I, I'm, I, I want to do it more uh, like a field trip where we're going to go out and actually show you examples of what we're talking about. Um, yeah, so you can put things into context and 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 make the learning process fun. Yeah. Uh, where can we find you guys? Uh, well, you can find us on Instagram at Bike Hike Botany. Uh, and then you can also find us on YouTube under the same name. Okay. And we're going to make sure we put descriptions. Uh, well, I'm sorry. We'll put these links in the description for the podcast. And we'll have it on our website at papabearhikes.com. Uh, Lindsay and Richard. Thanks for coming on Papa Bear Hikes. It's I've really had a good time talking to you guys. This has been very informative. Hey, everybody, make sure you watch these YouTube channels. And again, thanks for coming on and thank you for, for the work you put into your YouTubes. Uh, thank you very much, Martin. It's been a real honor to be here and thank you for having us as guest. Thank you. And, you know, I hope to have you guys on again someday. I'll have you on again, you know, maybe after your series starts to take off and we'll keep up with you guys with the progress on that. Um, that would be great. This is yeah, such awesome. an interesting topic. I think we can, you know, we'll, we can revisit this. Um, <laughs> Thank you so awesome. much. I look forward to yeah. it. Okay, everybody, make sure you go to papabearhikes.com and go to the top of the menu. We have a little thing going on here, 46 Climbs. We're joining the effort that 46 Climbs has started. Join the Papa Bear Hikes team. 
Join us as we take part in this national community helping to conquer suicide and mental illness. Your, your participation in this event will spark countless conversations from remote backcountry and social media while raising funds for the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. We're all in this together. This is a way to let the people, let everybody know that we're working together. We're, you know, we're all in this. This is a, a something that we're, we're a goal we all need to share in. Whether, you know, some of us have lost loved ones to suicide or have loved ones that are suffering from mental illness. It, let's let everybody know we're in this together. Everybody, make sure you stay safe out there. This episode of Pop Bear Hikes has been brought to you by Avalon Publicity. Avalon Publicity, increasing the digital footprint of content creators and skilled professionals via website development and social media services. For more information about Avalon Publicity, go to their website, avalonbusiness.org. That's avalonbusiness.org.